I went and saw The Aviator with 45 other people, all who like different films and were in need of a good movie. Any movie to relax with after a stressful day. Can you relax with this film? Is that a good choice? During the film, nearly 20 of the people in my group went out halfway through and they never came back. <laughs> Seven people admitted to falling asleep. It, it's a long film. I, yeah. Only two people said they liked it. Out of 45? Out of 45. That wow. Is, that is a, um, a, a 2% success that's a, that's a brutal... I personally lost the will to live. <laughs> that is a one-star review from IMDb. Welcome to Spoilers Intended, a podcast about series and films. I'm Ryan, joined as always by Andrew. Hello. And Stephen. Greetings and salutations. In this episode, we're reviewing Martin Scorsese's Oscar-winning 2004 epic aerial biopic of Howard Hughes. That's right. We're talking The Aviator. But first, before we get into all that, we're talking about something very important. And that is a top five scenes no no stop hold on we're not talking about that yet we're talking about the very important fact of how do you go to a movie theater with 45 other people listen he he had at least 45 friends and a very large car. i want to know I, the logistics of this i operation. don't believe him at all no one has 45 friends i'm Th- sorry think about your friend group and understand that it's not 45 people let's start there <laughs> but think about your friend group right and the the logistics of being able to get like five people together to go, to see, go a movie. see one movie right see yeah. one film much less to get 45 people together <laughs> on board to go see a movie this dude must have paid all of them to come and said you can walk out if you want i don't know just, no. just show up please i think the real takeaway here though is yeah. that he could have a killer D game yeah like they Clearly. all show up at the sa- on time at the same place <laughs> Yeah, you never I mean, get that. I know. Also, when you did like a round of combat, it only take like three weeks for all 45 people <laughs> to take their turn. It comes back to him and he's like, what? I forgot we were playing. <laughs> Taking a nap. All right. Anyways, back to back anyways. To yeah. So and before we get into our discussion about the aviator, we're going to go around and we're going to rank our top five scenes involving a plane or an aerial vehicle. And we're going to start with Ooh. number five, work our way up to number one. We Aerial don't know. Oh. We, okay. we open this up. A well, bit. I mean, okay, so it, it can't be in space. No, that, that's right. not fair. That doesn't count. It's not fair. Um, and it can't use magic. No magic, that's, no that's space. That's pretty fair. Yeah, yeah, you can't use magic. In the theme of Howard Hughes and the Aviator, it's got to be some kind of aerial okay. yeah. vehicle. But it doesn't have to have a propeller. No. It probably will, but it doesn't have to. Just in the air. Yep. And not a bird. <laughs> and we, we didn't discuss this. So there may be some, uh, some overlap. <laughs> if there is, there is. Okay. Yep. So, so we're going to start with number five, work our way up, and we're going to start with Andrew. Give us oh, your number okay. five. Uh, okay. So I picked, and this is not a com- well, it is a combat scene, but not plane combat. Okay. This is the, the cargo fight or cargo plane fight at the end of Living Daylights with Timothy Ooh. Dalton. Uh, That's so a good scene. This is where he is kind of like escaped with the um, uh, a bunch of cocaine, and uh, <laughs> uh, he he's basically on this cargo plane, and um, it was the eighties. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, eventually, the back of the cargo plane uh, opens up, and him and the henchmen are kind of you know wrestling around on this net that has all the cocaine in it, um, disguised as first aid bags. 
Yeah, if and, you've seen Uncharted. But yeah, basically, if you've seen <laughs> Uncharted, this is where they got that from. Yes. So Cocaine and all. Yeah, yeah. and uh, <laughs> the... Um, his the bond girl is basically flying the cargo plane while this is happening and she doesn't know how to fly a cargo plane so she's you know like kind of like going back and forth and which uh, bond girl is it uh does she oh, have like a thick accent yes that one? Okay, oh yeah, yeah she's russian spot. yeah, yeah I, I'm gonna, mr bond and she's like <laughs> vaguely remember some kind of uh accent. but yeah so it, it ends where um you know these timothy dalton and the henchmen are, are basically just you know hanging outside of this uh this cargo plane and just throwing punches, eventually, um, you know, grabs on the boot and takes the knife and throws the guy off and into the oblivion. It's, it's great scene. Cool. I love it. Right. Love it. Steven, what's your number five? All right. I showed Andrew the scene earlier because I needed somebody else who had actually seen it. Uh, 1991's Flight of the Intruder. Mm-hmm. So oh they, they make a raid on, uh, I'm pretty sure it's Hanoi, uh, but it's called Sam City. So it's supposed to have like the highest density of anti-air so they go in at 200 feet. So uh, the, the A6 intruder is kind of like a side-by-side fighter-bomber style plane. So you're sitting it next to this person. It's a very thick plane. It's a wide plane. And there's literally, the, the actual, there are some actual aerial shots woven in there, but this bit is definitely done with models where they have it flying basically down Main Street. Yeah. Like between <laughs> the buildings. Yeah. Uh, while like flax going off all around them and they're making bombing runs. I have to go back. They, they miss, they mess up one of the runs. And his, his bombardier slash co-pilot looks at him and is like, well, they never expect us to go back again. <laughs> and I turn back around and do it again. Uh, it's, I mean, it's like Willem Dafoe. It's very... Uh, it's, it's very it's 90s. Very 80s and 90s, yeah. And of course, you know, once something explodes, everything explodes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Nice. All right, Ryan. My number five is the 1997 Harrison Ford film, Air Force One. <laughs> <laughs> the scene... Is at the end when a very heavily Russian-accented Gary Oldman yep. is having his final fight <laughs> with Harrison Ford. They're rolling around in the back of this cargo, you know, area. Yep. Like the doors open, the wind's going, and he slips a a uh, uh, um, parachute. parachute on, and he's planning to escape. And they're fighting. And Harrison Ford yanks the parachute <laughs> and holds him and says, "Get off my plane!" <laughs> and then lets him go. And I was in the theater in 1997, saw that clapped. I mean, loved it. It is, I was it like, is a truly get like, off my plane. <laughs> that, right. that, that was the first um, version of the 300 well kick where he's like, this <laughs> is Sparta. Sparta. This yes. is America. America. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the president. I'm the president. All right. So number four is real easy for me then. Just jump in. Go ahead. Air Force One. <laughs> <Harrison> nice. <Ford. laughs> nice. I told you, I was almost positive we we're going to have overlaps. So. Yes. Yeah. Andrew. Uh, okay. So my four is the Battle of Britain 1969 film. Um, it's basically the Battle over London, the, the finale of the film where there is no dialogue, there is no um, sound effects or anything, just classical score over these Spitfires and, um, and Messerschmitt BF-109s just going at it, dogfighting, incredible aerial footage for the time. Uh, for the production for the film, they had um, 100, you know, 19... 40, World yeah, World War II, II 1940s oh, wow. planes. And it was like one of the, like the 30th or 35th largest air force in the world at the time. Yeah. Actually, this actually fits in really well with the aviator when he was yeah. filming hell. Like he makes yeah. these comments. It's the same kind of idea, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so 
I, so today I was kind of like going through and I was like, just making sure that I had the right thought. Cause I've seen battle of Britain a couple of times, but it's been a while. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to go just, you know, watch a couple of the scenes just to make sure that I was on par. And then I just found out that YouTube had the whole film. So I just rewatched the whole <laughs> film for free. Why not? Yeah. Nice. Ryan. My number four, I mean, really 70% of this movie could be on this list. Uh -huh. It is from the 1980 Zucker Brothers comedy Airplane. Oh, yeah. oh. I, 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 I thought about putting Airplane all over this list so hard. It, my it, it was my on a struggle list. was just not making a top five moments from the movie Airplane list mm -hmm. when I got to this. <laughs> so if I had to pick one scene, which I don't want to, I would say it's, it's when Leslie Nielsen and... Um, uh, I can't think of the actress's name. Um, Either way. Elaine, the stewardess, yeah, yeah, is yeah. In, in the cockpit and the captain's flying and they're explaining what's happening. Like anyone that ate the fish is having an issue. And he looks down <laughs> and he's got this fish that has been, I'm talking, he ate the face off this fish. Like it is bones, it is skeletons. <laughs> and they start describing, you know, it starts with, you know, like a, 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 a sweat. You know? yeah. He starts sweating and then <laughs> hives and he's itching. And every symptom, the guy's like reacting and like, just a really well acted scene, especially for comedy. Just the yeah. way that he mm -hmm. he sold all that stuff. Airplanes just a fantastic just the, film. the, oh, the landing at the end with him sweating, where they just have the hose <laughs> yeah. pouring water over him. It's just so good. That, that's definitely one of my favorite, just like meme gifts that um, that I just kind of throw into chats every once in a while. Yeah. So so this is we're on three, right? We're number on three. three yeah. Right, well, I'm gonna pick this up because it's it's a scene that also takes place in a cockpit and it actually has a little bit of comedy. But it's just a sprinkle of comedy amongst very serious. This is Memphis Belle. Oh. Mm. And they're going through a, a big run of flak. This is World War II bombers, B-17s. And they get hit by flak. And the pilot and the co-pilot are both just covered in blood. Yeah. And the, the co-pilot turns to the pilot and says, you, you've been hit. You've been hit. And he's like, no, you've been hit. You've been hit. He's like, no, you don't understand. You're in shock. You've been shot. And like, no, you're in shock. You've been shot. <laughs> and the, the top turret gunner or the radio, someone who else is in the space, steps forward and picks up a can of tomato soup off the dash, basically. That's been, <laughs> that's been destroyed by the shrapnel. And was like, yeah. no, no, it was just lunch. <laughs> like it's a really serious movie but like you just have yeah. this one bit of moment and all of yeah. it's just hilarious i mean sometimes that's that's kind of like the best spots to put comedy because you, you need to release little, that tension yeah a yeah. little bit of seasoning yeah andrew me uh okay so i picked an anime this time oh um it is Shocking from twist. 1985 to 1986 area 88 <laughs> and um so we, we watched a um just a little top thing earlier today and we and that was on there and i was like oh yeah. hey i already know this and <laughs> yeah. um so it is basically takes place in the middle east and uh it's kind of like a mercenary thing where you get hired on and then to pay your way back out of like kind of like this indentured servitude uh you have to get kills um for the for the company essentially that they're working for yeah and uh there is this massive air battle um, in the series that basically takes place where they start at range, like not with invisible distance and they do long range missiles at each other. Um, and then it turns into a, a, you know, very close range dogfight. Yeah. That is like when I say beautifully animated F-14s no, no, and no, no, F-5s. No. Beautiful. It's not beautiful. It's lovingly. Yeah. Like yeah. Lovingly animated. It is. And, and now is this a movie series? Uh, it's an OVA. Uh, okay. So OVA, oh, yeah. so it's like six episodes. Yeah, yeah. And um, it is absolutely spectacular. It, it is, yeah. it's kind of, 
I'm kind of sad that this didn't hit number one for me, but <laughs> right. there's a reason for that. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like a lot of those 80s OVA mm-hmm. anime stuff, they just animate stuff like it's like the amount of time and oh, yeah. Yeah. animators it took the to dedication. do some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. My number three is from the 1983 Twilight Zone movie. Okay. It is John Lithgow scene. Oh, because so if <laughs> yes. you're not familiar with the Twilight I, Zone I, movie, I, yeah, I, I know it's like it's like four or five different. Uh, you know, it's kind of like the Twilight Zone episodes, and it's making it's a new take on the William Shatner original mm-hmm. Twilight Zone episode of There's Something on the Wing. Mm-hmm. I like the William Shatner one. Don't get me wrong. I like the classic Twilight Zones, but like the way John Lithgow plays this character in the the movie, the eighty uh-huh. three movie, with like there's something on the wing and there's this gremlin just destroying the plane and no <laughs> one sees it but him and yep. he's losing his mind. Fantastic. So one of my good. one of my favorite like horror movie kind of type scenes of like just the tension he does he adds to it is just so great. That's one of my favorite Looney Tunes gags uh-huh. um, from, <laughs> yes. from the from the original uh, run, and it is just hilarious watching those oh, it's oh, such yeah. a class i mean it's it made it through so many different media at this yeah point. it's just such a classic mm-hmm. all right steven what's your number two my number two okay so this is just i i just wrote top gun maverick duh <laughs> <laughs> i pick just pick a scene i i think probably for me the personal favorite just moment in that is the when they first start training and he does the you know good morning aviators you know this is your <laughs> captain speaking this is what we'll be, blah 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 the fight begins now and just shoots between them. Yep. And it's just yeah. such a oh <laughs> moment because, I mean, that, that there's just so much danger in that kind of maneuver just in general. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and Top Gun Maverick is kind of the golden standard at this point. It, and I, I only put it at number two. There, there are reasons for this. But it, basically everything in that movie is just phenomenal. Yeah. I, 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 we've already done a review on it. You can go back and listen to that. Just gushed over it mm-hmm. uh, back in season one. But yep. Uh, so my number two is another anime. Um, <laughs> uh, it is The Wind Rises, um, yep. and it is essentially the the climax of the film. Uh, very emotional. Yeah. Um, I know Stephen has not seen The Wind Rises, so I'm not going to give anything I away. I haven't seen it either. Cool. I have, We're going to have to I have it that sitting at home in a in a steel book, ready to be watched. I've got the Miyazaki Blu-ray collection. <laughs> just haven't made it that far yet. <laughs> uh, so this scene, um, just as a general. Thing is basically the, the main character. He is a, um, a an engineer, and this is basically um, the the moment to where he they are test flying the the Mitsubishi A five M, which is basically a, a Japanese zero, the zero, yeah. the yeah. zero. And this is the the first time that they've all seen it fly. They're testing the speed of it and everything. And um, Miyazaki just does a absolutely wonderful job at realizing this plane in yeah. the glory that it is of just a engineering marvel for the time not the fact that it was a glorified you know war plane right and um there's some other stuff that happens that that really adds to the emotion of the scene and uh if you've never seen wind rises and you like aviation go see that film yeah i mean i, I would definitely honorable mention porco rosa the the final duel yes oh, yeah. that another. was on my short list as well yeah that yeah. was that was a tough one to cut but i'm actually surprised you did i it just Oh, there's so many. There, the it, problem is, this was such a broad topic. I, I could have put so many things yeah, in here. I had a hard time getting it to five. I was like, oh man. <laughs> Ryan? My number, number two? two is from the 2015 Mission Impossible film Rogue Nation. Mm. This is when Tom Cruise basically hangs onto the outside of a, uh, 
I can't remember the exact uh, model. Some kind plane. of cargo plane. It's, it's a cargo, cargo plane. Yeah, I can't cargo remember plane. the exact one. I looked it up earlier, but yeah. E5 or something. And like that. that was one of the, the first scenes where I was like, oh, Tom Cruise has lost his mind. <laughs> this is an actual <laughs> stunt, and this man is hanging off the outside of a plane they yep. did, they did for the like, whole scene. They did like six or seven takes of it. Oh, yeah. It it's, it's insane. When you watch the making of of that scene, you're like, man. But even in the movie, it just it works so good because he's, he's trying to get into this plane. Yep. And he's like, you know, open the doors, Benji. And then Benji's like, what? And he's like, how are I'm you in the plane? plane? He's like, not in the plane, on, on the, the plane. plane. <laughs> open the doors. And he's like trying to hack into this Russian plane. And like, yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's definitely, that was also on my short list. Yeah. It was great. All right. So, Steven, you want to do your number one? My number one. Okay. So, I'm reaching way back. Again, showing off my old man. Uh, 1959's North by Northwest. Ooh, good one. Yep. That was so, close to being on my list. This is, this is a, a classic for me. This is Alfred Hitchcock, Cary Grant, and he is just out in the middle of nowhere. I think this is what really makes it stand out to me. It's just the, the terror that is a plane when there's no cover. <laughs> and so he's out in the middle of nowhere trying to wait for like a bus stop. And this crop duster flies by and like does these low passes over him. Yeah. And they did a really good job of merging for the time. Yeah. It's dated now, but of merging on set scenes of Grant because they didn't just, they were not going to fly a plane over Cary Grant. Right. So they fly this plane very, very low and then have him like diving into like piles of gravel that are obviously on a sound stage. Yeah. And they have the film clipped over it. And the way they did it back in the day was they basically just projected the, yeah, film, the film behind, behind them on yep. a screen. Because they yep. didn't have green screen at the time. They didn't <laughs> yeah. have, you know, so like, they I'm with you. Like, for the time, they made it really yeah. great. I'm sure people ran out of the theater screaming. Yeah, yeah. but like, and it's like, it's, you know, making strafing runs. And he finally finds like a, a cornfield to hide in. And then the, it's a crop duster. So they just dust the field <laughs> to <laughs> drive him out because he can't breathe. And like, he finally like runs out into the road and like flags down a tanker truck that almost runs <laughs> him over and stopping. And the plane is trying to make another pass and it hits the tanker truck and the whole thing explodes. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, it's just a nuts scene just for the time and what they're doing. It's just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew, okay. what's your number one? Okay. So I went with the, uh, the most recent masterpiece of, of aviation filming, um, Top Gun Maverick. There it is. And, uh, but I, I picked specifically the F-14 versus the Su-57 fight at the end of the film. Right. And um, it is the most amount of one excitement just because it's just, it's very fan servicey and it's a lot of fun, but it, yeah. everything that, that, that is happening in the film and in the fight have kind of like met up to this moment, very emotional climax, but then also everything that is happening feels earned. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and, it, and plus the footage is just, absolutely I was going to say, phenomenal. and the footage is fantastic. Yeah. So it just, is it, it's icing on the cake. It, it, yeah. It's kind of like just the, the culmination of, of every like, aerial dogfight that you want out of a film it's emotional it has story impact it is beautifully shot and it is exciting i i almost i almost just singled out the the dark star scene at the mm -hmm. start of the movie where it blasts <laughs> over uh, the admiral and they like lift the roof off the, yep and yeah. that that actually happened they just they could only do one take because they destroyed the set <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> hope we got it in one yeah ryan, ryan. all right when we expanded this category from planes to aerial vehicles, one scene jumped to mind, and that is from the 1991 Jackie Chan film, oh. Oh. Police Story 3 Super Cop. Oh. It is the final I, stunt. I'm going to stop you right there. Okay. I'm going to let you finish. Uh-huh. Andrew, I am so disappointed in you. Okay. All right, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> we both are. As your parents, we are very disappointed. As I was saying, Super Cop, the final 
stunt scene, Jackie Chan just hanging from insane. a helicopter. Yeah. The insanity all the way of, through Kuala Lumpur. Yeah, the the entire the way it shot, from how many a, takes they had to do down below it. Like, yeah, God, and, and the story that led to it also is fantastic. Where like Michelle Yeoh was mm-hmm. that was her return to acting. She had retired for like two or three years before that. Yeah, she came back and she was just so excited to be like build along with Jackie Chan mm-hmm. as like a, a female lead instead of just like a supporting character. And she was doing all of her stunts and she did the motorcycle jump onto the train. Yep. And Jackie was like, I can't let you one up me in this movie. <laughs> and so he was like scrambling. He's like, I'll hang from a helicopter. And they were like, oh, well, okay, hold on. Hold when, on. when Jackie Chan's, you know, stunt people were like, I don't know, bud, uh, that's a bit much. But yeah, that, that whole scene, I remember the first time I ever saw that movie. I was like, I mean, it's, it's staggering just it's watching insane. him just like literally just fly through and like, hit things. Yeah. 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 And yeah. like know that he could have fallen off that ladder very easily. Yep. Yeah. So, so I, I love you referencing the, the stunt guy because there's a clip of Matt Damon talking about having a conversation with Tom Cruise about yeah. the hanging on the, the outside of the plane scene. Yeah. And he's like, so Tom Cruise and I are having dinner and, and he, I was like, so, so how did you do this scene? He's like, well, you know, I, I told my stunt guy what I wanted to do and, and the, the stunt, the safety guy said, well, there's no way we could do that. And Matt's like, well, well, so what did you do? He's like, well, I got another stunt guy. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of swapping employees and firing people, (laughs) sometimes when it's not really necessary, when they can't give you what you want, let's transition over to talking about the aviator. Ah, yeah, that's a good good segue. Kind of. Okay, so here's some quick details about the aviator, right? It's released in 2004, directed by Martin Scorsese, obviously, Mm Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Goodfellas, mostly known, uh, you know, maybe unfairly for a lot of his, you know, mob-related movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, starring, or it was written by Lo- John Logan, who also wrote Gladiator, The Last Samurai, and two 007 movies with Skyfall Inspector. Ah, not a bad, yeah. not a bad that, list that is, there, yeah. that is a good list of films. Yeah, and he had a pretty good list. That was just the ones that jumped out to me of like, I didn't know he wrote that. So yeah, yeah. yeah. decent writer. Uh, it stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Blanchett, Kate Beckinsale, John C. Riley, Alec Baldwin, Alan Alda. All of them do great. There's a ton of cameos. There's, There's so many people in this movie. It's ridiculous. Uh, it was composed by Howard Shore, yep. the same guy that did Sons of the Lambs 7 and the Lord of the Rings. I was about to say, are, like, are, are we missing Lord of the Rings? <laughs> I was building up to Lord of the Rings. It was my, like, that was the big one. Like, I wouldn't start with that and then go, and also, I don't know, Sons of the Lambs, I guess, whatever. Uh, I made a box office of $213.7 worldwide, with 102 of that being, like, domestic. Uh, and it won several Oscars. Uh, the bit no- most notable ones, Best Actress, Kate Blanchett. Mm-hmm. Uh, cinematography, editing, art direction, and costume design. So it swept a lot of the Oscars yep. that year. It didn't get best director, best you know actor, best but it, actor. It, it for got Leo. Poor a Leo. lot of yeah, poor Leo. Never. <laughs> a but lot of good. He, stuff. he has one now, but yeah, yeah, he finally got one. Yeah. All right. So the plot summary for the Aviator, if you haven't seen it, is billionaire and aviation tycoon Howard Hughes, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, is a successful public figure, a director of big budget Hollywood films such as Hell's Angels, which mm-hmm. that whole part of this movie is just. Hilarious to watch, like the whole back and forth. Uh, He's a passionate lover of Hollywood leading ladies Catherine Hepburn and Ava Gardner, played by Kate Blanchett and then Kate Beckinsale. Uh, And he's an aviation pioneer who helps build TWA into a major airline, but in private, Hughes remains tormented, suffering from paralyzing phobias and depression. The higher he rises, the farther he has to fall. <laughs> yeah, and if, if you know anything about Howard Hughes' life, then we, we you know where this is going. So yep. I didn't know anything about Howard Hughes' <laughs> life going into this, but you you guys definitely did. So what what was your overall thoughts on the Aviator? 
I'll let Steven go first because he has yeah. more aviation knowledge than I do. I, you know, what's funny is I didn't really jump up and down about the aviation. I did. I loved scenes of uh, Leo as Howard iterating yeah. through, you know, no, no, and, this and doing, good enough. Do doing this the again. engineering. Do this stuff. different. Do, and, and also the rapid fire calculations mm-hmm. of well, what's what's the weight what ceiling are you doing like you, you can push it to twenty five thousand. well we can get what three thousand miles range out of that how much weight how much weight are you carrying how much fuel weight are we carrying and it it felt very uh real and it really made him uh, you know howard hughes seem as that obsessive genius mm-hmm. uh that he definitely you know, was yeah uh i have a manager complaint and it just it didn't need to be two hours and 50 minutes long uh it was a long film it is yeah a really long film and like I can watch some long films. He's this? seen Braveheart one way through. <laughs> no breaks. No or, or, breaks. You, or you do like the Lord of the Rings extended edition marathon. All three movies. Champion. No, no breaks. <laughs> no bathroom breaks. And you, you play the Hobbit naming drinking game where every time the, sa- the name is said, you have to drink. And you're Sam. God, the room of ruined, dead, dead people. Ruined. <laughs> Sam, Frodo. <laughs> oh, no. Anyways. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it just... It felt longer than that length, that runtime, yeah. because it was very, again, from my perspective, as having a lot of knowledge of what was going to happen, it felt like a documentary and it had kind of almost too dry a feel at times. Uh, and I also looked it up because I was curious, 110 million budget. Mm. So, so based on the, the general math, it probably lost money or barely broke even. Probably, yeah. 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 Uh, but of course, you know, Oscar bait, generally speaking, is not commercial success so there's there's always the trade-off and i, I do think leo did a, a really phenomenal job yeah andrew what do you think uh so, okay so I, this is the second time i've seen the film and i've liked it both times i have a decent amount of knowledge of howard hughes yeah. and the film takes some liberties and it condenses a lot of the timeline down but then they also make the timeline vague enough to where you don't really know how like kind of how long some of these these stretches go yeah, yeah. They, they didn't give you a good passage of time. Yeah, feel the um, the film covers most of kind of his. I'll say his his worst aspects as a person. Um, they didn't touch on any of the domestic abuse stuff that he had with Ava Gardner, and um, and then also some of his solicitation stuff with a lot of other younger females uh, from they, Hollywood. They, they touched on a little bit, a, a bit. Yeah, a little bit, but it, it's kind of one of those things where, and they also didn't um, mention that he was, he was actually married twice before him and um, yeah. uh, uh, Kate Hepburn yeah. got together. Um, but overall, I mean like the, the film it's, it is fascinating, especially at the beginning to watch him um, kind of like produce health, health angels, which was, yeah. you know, kind of like the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, like, I still really like it. Leonardo DiCaprio is one of my favorite actors. Sure. It's really hard for me to watch a film with him in it and not enjoy it. Yeah. So, but I do agree with Steven. It is very long. Um, and, and I love like Return of the King. I, I like long films. Yeah. Mm. This was a very long film and it felt long. It does feel yeah. long. I, I would say overall, I liked it. I liked it pretty good. I thought it was extremely well acted. Like, mm-hmm. I think, obviously, Leo, Kate, Blanchett, like, every every major uh, actor in the movie does a really good job. Well, I think even the, the supporting cast, you know, uh, seeing yeah. uh, Alan Alda in there as the senator was a real treat. I didn't, I didn't yeah. know he was in the film, so he just hits. I'm like, oh, that's Alan Alda. I'm a yeah. you know, huge well, MASH well, fan. Well, even, like, Adam Scott as just kind of his, yeah. like, his Hollywood um, is, like, uh, guy is, is really fun. Press, or, yeah, press, 
press manager. Or yeah, something like that. his, his title did not fit what all he did for for Howard Hughes. Yeah, that yeah. was what kept throwing me. It was his um, press agent, press agent, press, and yeah, I was like, what? okay, <laughs> but then you're making this guy do all sorts of stuff. But yeah, yeah. but I mean, he, that's, that's also kind of how yeah his right. I mean, you see it right from the start of the movie where he's just like, "Whoa, you're hired. Well, you do this, do that, do this." It's like the dude's like, "Why well, is that in the job description?" Why well, I yeah, I it's like, "Oh, cool. I just hired you for half the price of what I was going to pay someone else to do it." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and so for me coming. Less from a perspective of having I mean, any knowledge of Howard Hughes and yeah. more of a like a knowledge of Martin Scorsese's work. Mm-hmm. I would say it's definitely not my favorite Scorsese movie. I, I think I, it's one of his weaker films. Yeah it's, yeah, it's definitely weaker. Like you said, both of you guys, the runtime is a bit much. I feel like it could have been tightened up in a lot of places. Yeah. There are some choices made with the color grading and some of the special oh, yeah. effects that like I don't even think probably worked great at the time. They they were kind of grading. There, there was... Definitely a lot to 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 pick out with this movie, but mm-hmm. I think if you have any kind of interest in aviation or just want to see a very interesting biopic style look mm-hmm. at a very eccentric person, yeah, this is good. Also, though, I do think it does a good job of like really delving into, despite the fact that it does a lot of time jumping and remixing of like how, what his life actually was. Because mm-hmm. I I find myself doing that with a lot of movies like this that's like based on the story or yeah. based on like. I'll stop and I'll be like, there's no way that happened. And then I'll Google it and I'll be like, oh, it did. But <laughs> I, it happened 10 years later. Exactly. And then they they remixed it. Because again, it has to be, you know, the typical structure of a movie. I think yeah. like you're saying, like they glossed over a lot of the negative aspects of his life. Mm-hmm. Probably so you'd still root for him as a character in a movie. You yeah, because you, you, well, you want to like the guy because you know that he has essentially like crippling OCD. Right, yeah. Um, and, and phobias that... that absolutely ruled his life especially later on after basically 1945-ish yeah um and it it's definitely one of those things where like if you had all of that the whole time it would have felt it's very hard for me to watch because like i know what's coming Mm. and you're just like this is one leo did a fantastic job at depicting that kind of illness oh yeah yeah his his on screen's just ridiculous yeah um you were gonna say something uh, yeah, I, I I actually thought it was really weird because, you know, we have a main character and for most of the film, he's not necessarily someone that as a modern viewer, you're going to want to root for right. until towards the end. And then suddenly, you know, he like, oh, you totally redeemed yourself kind of thing. And yeah. it, just, it was kind of bizarre because, I mean, he's Howard Hughes is definitely a kind of a, a, a tragic and also it's somewhat almost, you know, villainous figure in, in actual history. I mean, he's he's a, a rich millionaire that just did whatever he wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, also had his, you know, his his own tortured demons, but also, you know, did, you know, not some great things. Mm-hmm. And even for the time, it was at least sort of accepted. He was rich enough that it was accepted, but it was yeah. still, you know, scandalous, right? Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. I think the other thing too, like with with the time jumping, that is again very different from like a movie like Goodfellas or something, where they put the literal date up to kind of give you like a map of like how you know the timeline of what's happening. Mm-hmm. I think that works in its favor of not doing it in this movie because it makes you the the viewer kind of off balance and kind of disoriented sometimes because you're like, wait, how much time has passed between yeah. this and this? Yeah. And I think that gets you a little closer to being in the headspace of of Howard Hughes a little bit, not all the way, obviously, but like it, it, it at first bugged me. Cause again, I wanted to know like, well, when is this, is this like a year later? Is this 10 years yeah, later? Yeah. When, when is this? But I think it works for its benefit 
with the exception of being too long, just like to keep you kind of guessing at what's happening to kind of put you closer to that. So yeah. that, that part worked for me. All right. So each of us have rated this movie in secret. We don't know each other's scores across five different categories, spectacle, performance, score, plot, and entertainment. Then using dark forbidden spreadsheet sorcery, <laughs> we take these scores and combine them into an overall score. And so using that, our score for the aviator is a seven. 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 So there, like we said, it's, it's one of Scorsese's probably weaker films. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is definitely something here for someone, especially if you are interested in aviation, especially aviation history, uh, because Howard Hughes was a integral part of just the history of aviation period. Uh, I mean, he is, he is a, a leading figure in mm-hmm. well, and he, the he formation. Broke multiple world records. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just like he was all over the place with what he had his hands in. Well, and for me, for probably the person who's the least interested in aviation in this podcast, uh-huh. like it was really exciting to see just how many moments he moved for, like how much he moved the needle in aviation just by being this eccentric. And, and being a guy that would know? be like, 15 million, let's go. Like, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, that's my money. I'll do it. Yeah. yeah. Like, you, or, or even just, you, know, you say, well, well, we should be looking at doing it this way. And everyone would say, well, well, no one does it this way. And it's like, well, that's what we should be looking at it. We should right. be pushing, pushing what is possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, which again, was definitely his, you know, actual persona and also made him very difficult to be the, around in yeah. real life. Well, and again, mm-hmm. I don't know how how simplified they they made those conversations for the movie versus like in real life. You know, like did he really just be like, no, let's just buy it? Like, was he that I, type of dude? He, yes. he was definitely like that yeah. kind of yes. person. Yeah, like was... I I enjoyed that aspect of the movie and the way Leo played it of yeah. like mm-hmm. his 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 portrayal of of just being that that unhinged almost on mm-hmm. some levels of just like I want to do this thing. You know, well the board of directors won't go for it. How, what was controlling stake in TWA? <laughs> yeah. You know, and he's kind of like, like just like starts getting into these deals out of nowhere. And you're like, wow. Yep. And and that is pretty much how he was. Yeah. yeah. Well, and they did a good job too of balancing the kind of the manic side of it, but also the OCD side of it where it sounds like a manic decision. Well, what's controlling stake? And then, you know, someone says, oh, well, that will. And then he immediately does the math. And, well, this is that amount of money. Well, well yeah. let's get a loan. Let's do this. Put it up for that. Boom, boom. Mm-hmm. Like he puts all the parts together, even though it sounds like a super, super turn on the dime. You know, there's even yeah. a line in the movie where he's like, well, Howard, don't you want to think about that for five minutes? You know, kind of mm-hmm. thing. But but he's already thought about it. He does like, say he yeah. sees all it's the like, iterations. Like a beautiful mind or something. He's already like seen all the versions of what can yeah. happen with this. Well, he's well, already thought it through. And also there's an element of, well, once he's set his mind to it, that yeah. it has to happen, right? That That's a big thing for his persona is the, the, it's part of the disorder, et cetera, et cetera. And, and his own personal view of himself as, well, if I'm going to be this person, then I have to, I have to make it. I have to do it. Have you heard what those crazy boys over at Spoilers Intended have been cooking up? It goes on week after week, month after month. They just keep putting out fresh content. Why, if you head over to that technological monstrosity that goes by the name SpoilersIntendedPodcast.com, you can listen to all their previous episodes. Not only that, but these new age titans of the podcasting industry have harnessed the power of the world wide web to bring faithful listeners all sorts of ways to interact with them. From pledging your support for their endeavors on Patreon to being a part of the rabble rousing conversation on their Discord, or even following the fellows on social media or YouTube, this spoilers intended podcast.com show is the bee's knees. Check it out today. Okay, that means we are past the spoiler wall, so now we're going to get into everybody's individual scores. 
Let's yeah. start with Andrew. Okay, for spectacle? Let's go with spectacle. What did you give for spectacle? Okay, so I gave it a seven. Okay. Um, I had a, a... I like selective color. Okay. I don't like selective color that is inconsistent. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, this... Okay, so it's one of those things where you could definitely kind of tell that at the beginning of the film... Scorsese really wanted to kind of push that like that this was like the Technicolor and this was like the the faux color of or before Technicolor basically yeah 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 um, of how they Colorized. colored films almost yeah. like colorization yeah. yeah yeah and they did that and that's totally fine mm. but if you're gonna do that <laughs> do it consistently where like yeah. it seemed like he was trying to go for any time that he did that selective or a colorization of essentially black and white film is when it was pivotal, pivotal, wow. pivotal moment <laughs> for Howard Hughes. But then he doesn't do it towards the end of the film. No, it, it, it to me is the way I read it was it only happens during the 20s. As soon as we get into the 30s where they have other stuff, they yeah. stopped doing that. Even though film was still black and white in the 30s. So it felt like a very strange choice to do, So, like you're saying, like yeah. only there. So the thing with me is... If you're going to go with a really stylistic choice of doing that kind of like colorization. Yeah. Make the whole film to where any, whatever era that you're in. Yeah. That is what the film looks like. So when they're in the twenties, it's black and white. Yeah. When it's in the thirties or, you know, whenever they have more technology to, to add mm. more stuff to the different films. It's, it's colorized and then it becomes technicolor. Exactly. Well, I so think when did the movie end? What was like uh, roughly 1947? I don't think they had color film they didn't. yet. So no. like it would have just been a black and white movie. Yeah. Or, is, or, or colorized. Yeah. Or colorized the entire film. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, do just, it. Just do the whole like, consistent. Commit. Yeah. Instead, so, instead of kind of like pussyfooting around it and being like, I don't know. I would rather him not commit to that because I thought those sections were horrendous and they hurt my eyes. It was the colors he picked were like, I get that they were accurate for how you would colorize it. That was one of those things to where he should have looked at the test footage and gone like, all right, it's 2004. What can y'all do colorizing, you know, this scene on the golf course? Oh no, that's bad. Let's not do that. Well, I mean, so Pleasantville came out in 2009. Something right. like that, yeah. 2006 or 2009 mm-hmm. was one of those. This is, this is another as, as chance. Stephen looks it up. Fact check this. I think it was earlier. Than uh, yeah, let's keep going. But but like they did a great of, sure. of where it it fit that kind of thing. And even I mean we're gonna go. You know this is different technology tiers at this point. Yeah. But yeah. Wandavision did a fantastic job at yeah uh, at, at creating. Oh, well, hold on, hold on. You said what year? 2006 or 2009? 1998. I was gonna say I thought it was before 2000. Oh okay. Well then never mind. He should have learned from that yeah, film. No kidding. Yeah. Example. <laughs> yeah. He could have uh, rented it the night before. Yeah. So the other thing was, and I think this is where I say that it's definitely one of his weaker films, is his composition was okay for yeah. a lot of it. Like there was, there was really only like a handful of like really Artur shots. There, there yeah. were a few standout um, shots and there's a lot of middle ground. And, and the CGI unfortunately does not hold up. Oh. No, but I think the film. You almost have to grade it on at for the its time. time. No. Even for its time, though, but I don't it think it's it rough. The, yeah. the the spruce goose was rough. Rough. Yeah. Very rough. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the footage that of like him, like aerial footage of him filming the aerial footage in the film yeah. was kind of the key um, was really bad, like behind yeah, his head it, it and his just, hands. It felt it, it was I don't know. It kind of had a lot of the um, the Star Wars prequel feel oh, to boy. it. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, right, boy. I'm, I'm going to jump in. Yeah, go ahead. Go I ahead. also gave it a seven. Okay. 
selective coloring is a choice. It is a choice. And it's a choice you either commit to or you don't touch it. Exactly. And there is no in between. And and if, and this is maybe more of a plot thing, but if this movie was broken down into distinct eras, then it could be totally acceptable. You could have a black and white. Yeah. You could have a, a recolorized and technicolor and finish it out like that. And you don't have to say that we hit those years per se when the technology is there. You just do it and that's your defining point between errors in his life. But we don't have that. We don't. Well, and again, like other way. Scorsese movies where he does break movies into chunks, that would have made sense of like mm-hmm. this whole section it's, is one way. It's very way. defined. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, even ignoring that choice, mm-hmm. the CGI was rough, especially given the way the scenes were set where we're going from the interior of the Spruce Goose, which is obviously a built set, very realistic Etc. Etc. To a very shiny to, plane. To exterior shot. I, I don't even know if I'd call it shiny. It just looked fake. And I, I, yeah. I am willing to bet that I didn't see this in theaters, but if you were in theaters and you saw that, you were just like, but especially, <laughs> especially coming from, you know, movies that, that predate it, like The Rocketeer. I mean, this is, well, this is 2004. And so Lord of the Rings was already out. Uh, so, but Lord of the Rings, you can get away with it because it's fantasy. You you absolutely you don't, you don't have yeah. as good an idea like like yeah. I know what the spruce goose looks like yeah or I'm sorry the Hercules it's the Hercules we're, we're using the the bad name. we're using the bad name <laughs> <laughs> I mean it, it, okay yeah either way whatever plane you want to call it was it, not a good plane. it was brutal CGI uh, the the key framing from interior cockpit shots of like the XF11 and the uh, the Hughes Racer were also both very bad yeah the uh, the Hughes Racer especially, they did a horrible job. And this is one of these things that I'm always going to notice, right? So he gets in the plane with the hat on. Yeah. And he takes the hat off, puts it in his lap. Totally fair. The cockpit's open. Well, when they have the interior shots of him with it keyed out with him in it, the cockpit's open. Well, they have multiple exterior shots where the cockpit is an enclosed cockpit because that's what you had to have. You really had to have to fly the plane around. Yeah. yeah. And then they cut back to him in, the, in it and it's just open. It's like, what is going on? Like, this is not, this is not a big deal. But it's such a small thing that just it costs those disbelief dollars, right? Just instantly dings against it because yep. as soon as I see it, it, it hits me and it's ugh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's 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 probably my biggest. The, the CGI was, and I really like period pieces, and they did a really good job of selling me on late twenties, mid thirties, forty. Like they they sold me on that, and I believed it until CGI showed up, and then I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel I feel very similarly to you guys, but a little better. I gave it an eight. Okay, uh, yeah. I mean, I it's still it's still a pretty looking film. Yeah. So for me, yeah. I did like a lot of the cinematography. I like the scene where he and uh, Kate, uh, Catherine Hepburn. I want to call her Kate Blanchett. Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> Kate Hepburn hook up for the first time, and his hand is like sliding along her back, and it cuts to his hand sliding along the outside. Oh of his yeah, plane. yeah. You know, like so <laughs> there were some definite intentional moments and mm-hmm. shots that I, I appreciated, and again, like. I think the way Scorsese and his cinematographer had a lot of the scenes framed with like when he starts to lose it and he's in like the screening room and like that, that's definitely when it gets the to the better kind of cinematography yeah. shot. So I also thought even though the CG was definitely weak, I tried to give it less of a you know a knock against just because the time of two thousand four yeah. like it was a very ambitious. Thing, what they were trying to do with with some of that i don't know what their budget was for cg well, especially specifically with the aerial footage i mean i'm but i will always hammer that just because like models exist and you could have a model and then blend it in better with the cgi and then the whole thing doesn't rely on it and sure. it's gonna feel 
if it's, again, if you're doing a decent job, it's going to feel way better than what we got. But counterpoint, I do think that the way some of the CG flight scenes were framed and the way that they executed it really drove home like the, I I guess the, the spirit of flight and like the Mm -hmm. ingenuity of what's happening here. They had had a good romance of of flight and the, the heady early days of aviation when anything was possible and we're going to do the, the, the craziest, we're going to go 3000 miles yeah. and, and what, never mind domestic, we're flying across the Atlantic, these kinds of things. Well, yeah. probably my favorite part of, of all the aviation footage is whenever he's filming um, Hell's Angels and the, uh, the, the gear landing gear of one of the other planes knocks off, knocks the, off the camera, the camera. And then he takes out another camera. Especially because he just had the, the whole debate about, well, I only have 24 cameras and I need 26. And then one gets like, just, well, yep, that, we found our rental. You yeah. Know? Yep. <laughs> but I, I think my biggest sticking point was the color grading. Like when it yeah. first hit, I literally backed out on HBO max. I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. Is something wrong with like the, Convergence on my screen. I was like, I played it something else. I was like, no, okay. Am I having a stroke? And I went, I went back into it and I was like, all right, this was a choice. Okay. And then to me, at least like you're saying with like Pleasantville from 98, like I feel like even the selective color stuff they were doing wasn't done as well as other movies had done it at that time. So yeah. to me, yeah. again, that whole thing made no sense to me of like, why did you even do part of the movie? I get like yeah, just don't touch it if it's I, it like should have been like a scene. It could have been that opening scene could have been like yeah. that, and then they just well, and transition then out. You, you know? start with that with like a, a different um, format, and then it widens out, and yeah. the color changes as it widens out. And like if you do that, hey, that was a cool choice. And when it happened, yeah. and we're moving on, and like I'm I'm in this now. You, so, know, like, you, you go from like Hell's Angels, yeah, and transitions yeah, into to something else, shoot. yeah. yeah. So this is more of just a a general hot take, but I think because it was the middle of the aughts, mid-2000s, I think that Scorsese and the people that were making the film Mm -hmm. felt that people didn't care. And didn't, didn't, it didn't matter to them one way or another. But then why did Scorsese Hmm. care? But, well, but that's the thing though, is like he, he may have wanted to try it or whatever, but okay. So like if you had a film like that now and you have like audiences expect more production value. Sure. Yeah. Instead of just, these are well-composed shots and the yeah. actor's doing a really we're, good we're, job. We're straight on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but, you know, so you look back at that and like we're nitpicking it. I understand. Like this is very much a nitpick at this point. But it, it's one of those things where I definitely feel that production companies at that time just, it was just, just churn out Just films, get it done. Get it done. Yeah. And anything goes, let's experiment with this. And if it's a, if it really, really works and we have it in our back pocket for exactly. Next, yeah. yeah. Right, now I will say they, they did have some good shots with really dramatic contrast lighting. Yeah. Right? We yeah. had, we had several, a lot of really good lighting, good hits, movie. especially within the screening room yeah. because oh, it, it lends itself to that. And right? in the, uh, the hangar where they're building yes. the, the Hercules with the sparks and everything flying mm-hmm. around him. Like really, I mean great. like there are some very good shots in here. And at the premiere for Hell's Angels, the way they use the light oh, bulbs yeah. and all that yeah, to really drive flash home. bulbs yeah. and, and how, how he's cutting the sound to basically yeah. kind of like force you into Hughes's mind. There's mm-hmm. one point where I think it's when him and, uh, Catherine Hepburn go to their first Hollywood party together and mm-hmm. she goes and she's talking to the mayor and he like blinks like that right there and they put a like a, yep. a flashbulb yep. sound effect in there to really just make you understand like, mm. yep. you know, like I thought a lot of that was really well done. My mm-hmm. biggest complaint was the color grading at the front and that they just get 
number one, it looks terrible. Number two, that they gave up on it. <laughs> Yeah. Like, what sense does it make that it just stops? It's yeah. just one scene picks up and is not there. I'm like, did they run out of money? Did they figure out this is going to take too long to do the All whole movie? All the money movie? had to go to the spruce goose. That's fine. Yeah, I was like, it was it was weird. Anyways, well, what did... Uh, they, well, last point. Yeah. They also did a good... Speaking of the mindset, right? They did a good job in the Hercules hangar scene when he highlights on the janitor, right? And he focuses in. They did a really good job of dropping the background out behind him mm -hmm. yeah. and almost spotlighting him yeah. in his vision. That and was really it's, cool. It's those kinds of things that really, because as soon as you see it, you go, oh, he's about to have some kind of paranoid fixation. Like yep. not just from Leo's acting, but that lighting choice really, really nailed it. Mm -hmm. so just one, one yeah. last, you know, olive yep. brand. Yeah. Well, speaking of Leo's acting, who wants to go for a performance? I'll take it. I was talking. Go for it. Yeah. Dump in there. So I gave it an eight. Okay. Uh, you know, Leo, obviously, I, I'm not going to say a whole lot about him because we've already been saying yeah, he did great. he's a fantastic actor. Right. I'm going to let y'all have that to <laughs> chew on. Uh, for me, it was the supporting cast of actors that I really loved. Uh, you know, I already said seeing Alan Alda was a real treat, and he's always, he plays, because he was always a comedian for so long, from my perspective, like MASH and all this, uh, but he plays such a good heel it's great. Uh, there was some really yeah. terrible movie. I can't remember. It was like a Ben Stiller movie, like heist thing, where he's like this really rich and hedge fund investor who loses everyone's money. Yeah. He's such a good heel in that movie. And it's the same thing here, where he's just kind of this slimy, weasley, like he knows he has, he, when he has power and when he doesn't. And stuff like that. Like Alec Baldwin uh, yeah. as a tri trip. One trip. One trip. One trip. Yeah. yeah. Which is just a hilarious CEO name. CEO of. A hilarious of name Am, yeah. for the CEO of Pan Am. One trip, one trip. <laughs> Anyways, uh, you know, he did a great job of being that kind of the, the you know, mid 30s, mid 40s businessman. Well, you know, and, and, and the infallible businessman. Tycoon of yeah. industry yeah. who is going to, you know, bull his way through any problem yep. kind of thing. So all of these, you know, uh, I don't remember, I don't recall the actor's name, but his uh, engineering assistant. Oh, uh, Obi or Odie? Odie, yeah. yeah. Um, so when I saw him, I was like, I've seen that dude. And he's Gavin Belson on Silicon Valley on HBO. Oh, that, that, is, that is a name help. that I have never yeah. heard. Doesn't help me at all. I, his, I like no, his name, name is Ross. <laughs> his oh. name is Matt Ross. His actor's name is Matt Ross. But like, I have never seen him in anything except for Silicon Valley on HBO, which is very recent. Uh -huh. And so I was like, Looks like I've seen that dude. Like, what's he been in? And I kept like yeah. I couldn't place it. Uh, but but all these all these people they pulled in the uh, the guy playing the meteorologist Ian Holm. Oh, Ian Holm. Ian Holm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. You Just, know, the Bilbo. Shh, shh. I, I I knew that, but I couldn't remember his <laughs> name. But still perfect, right? The yeah. perfect. I mean, it's 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 a Bilbo role. Yeah, very much so. It is. <laughs> it's a total uh, Bilbo role right here. <laughs> but I can say that you know exactly what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and just all these people that they found to bring in to support yeah. the big names who you know garnered the accolades, Rip Leo, uh, just did such a great <laughs> job, and that really, really drove it up for me. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I gave it a nine. Yep. Right. I was very impressed with everyone in this movie. Just about I, top to uh, bottom. Like, the accolades that the cast got for acting and stuff were absolutely deserved. Well, so when Kate Blanchett first comes on screen, I was like, Ooh, that's almost a cartoonish Catherine Hepburn accent. But then like literally two lines later, I'm like, oh, no, no, wait, she's nailing this. Oh, like, yeah. She's oh, yeah. really <laughs> doing the Catherine Hepburn well, you know. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, I don't know what Howard Hughes sounded like. So I don't know if his, you know, Leo's. I portrayal think, I think of that was Leo a little... probably had more the energy of Howard Hughes and not really his intonation. He, did he have he, that twang? Like that was the 
a yeah. bit. I mean, he's, okay. he's from Texas. Right. I and mean, he, he definitely chewed it a little bit, I would say. Uh, but it was still, I mean, it's close. Like Kate uh, Blanchett was way more she, on. She was a standout. The, yeah. For me, the, the scene that like clinched it with both of them was, is when he, you know, breaks the, the speed record, wrecks the plane, comes yep. home and has the, the beet juice on his feet. And they're <laughs> in the bathroom and she's tending to his wounds and they're having this like heart to heart. And, you know, she's talking about, you're about to be famous. And he's like, oh, you know, I can handle it. And she's like, you don't understand. Like, you know, when my, my brother committed suicide, there were photographers there. Like, this yeah. is going to get real. And then he kind of like breaks down and admits to her that like, I see things that aren't there sometimes. And like, you know, mm-hmm. that whole scene between the two of them and the way they played it and the space between lines and the way they looked at each other. Like yeah. that was like, man, Oh, it's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Two people are, they know what they're doing with the acting in this movie. <laughs> uh, other than that. Yeah. Like I, I agree with Steven, like all the supporting cast was great. I think everybody like Alan Alda who like, you don't get to see him as a villain enough. No, you really don't. I yeah. thought Alec Baldwin, even though he basically just played Alec Baldwin, Alec Baldwin. In, in most movies, <laughs> you know, he did it, you know, perfectly. John yeah. C. Riley, I, I do think also was really good. Like, he he yeah. was the great, um, uh, just finance guy yeah. of just like, you're paying me money yeah. and I'm going to tell you not to do things. But I also don't have the backbone to tell you yeah, actually the, not to do. Yeah, the, the facilitator throughout. Well, yeah. I love his scene when the phone call hits and his wife's like, "Don't answer it," and he he goes through the whole deal with them and he hangs up. He's like, "If I don't answer, he'll just call back." Yeah. <laughs> Did I say pennies? Or yeah, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> "Make it Sears." Andrew, what'd you think? Uh, I also gave it a nine. Nice. Uh, I thought Kate Blanchett was just absolutely fabulous. Um, even Kate Beckinsale as Ava Gardner mm-hmm. was awesome. Very, yeah. A very believable Ava yeah. Gardner. Yeah. Looks for well, oh yeah, she has yeah. the looks for it mm-hmm. and um, and just fabulous all around for the whole supporting cast. I l- always love seeing Adam Scott in just like random roles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he just has such a um, uh, a very like uh, greasy Hollywood <laughs> kind of person. Well, you, you put the yeah. mustache on him. Oh and, yeah, and he fits it, like yeah. the Clark Gable era so well. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. ridiculous. Yeah, but I, I mean, pretty much we've already said everything. But I mean, like the the cast was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, I don't think that that Leo should have won a acting role for this piece. Okay. Um, or I don't think he should have won an Oscar for this one. I would have to see what else was up for Best Actor of the Year of '04 yeah, to know for yeah, sure. Because I think he did really good. He did a fantastic job, but I think that I've seen him better in other films. Oh, well, sure. And the yeah, problem yeah, is yeah. too, we keep harping on it, right? I mean, he's right next to, to Kate Blanchett, who is just killing it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And you have all these other people who are doing just so well, yeah. That either he had to just be phenomenal to really rise out above that. Or he's just going to blend in as who he is. Yeah. yeah. And that's really, I think, what happens here. It's, it's not one of those movies where he gets to just completely dominate the screen over and over again. And, and this is also one of his earlier roles coming off of Titanic. Yeah. Um, to where he is, he, he's still, you know, like this is one of his first films with Scorsese and he's really, you know, finding his place in the acting world as well. Because he's still pretty young yeah, yeah, at this yeah. point. Um, you know, I mean, still did a great job. Yeah, like, but uh, yeah, you can tell it's early Leo. He yeah. doesn't have the same level. Real quick shout out to Jude Law as Errol Flynn and being oh, a dirtbag. Oh, yeah, totally <laughs> random. Really good, like <laughs> random cameo. And I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> he's in this? Cool. Yep. I mean, they just, they found everybody. Gwen Stefani's in there. Like, there's all these random people that just, like, fly in and you're like, oh. Yeah, okay. it, it was. he's got the pull. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was, it was um, a star-studded cast for a very small actual cast. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. All right, let's move on to scores. Of the score. Steven, what did you give the score? Give it an eight. Okay. Yeah, I've already mentioned I love period pieces. So we get these jazzy bits in there, and it just sells me on. As soon as you have that first scene in the uh, the club, mm-hmm. and you got the singer, which actually threw me a little bit that it was a dude, not a, not a woman, because usually <laughs> the classic scene is you have the, the borderline flapper yeah. singer up there. Yep. But it was still, it's perfect for the period. Like the, the song, the sound that we're getting out of this, and it immediately sets the tone of what era we're in, right? Yep, yeah. So that's that's perfect. Like that is selling me. And then we also have a pretty strong to decent, you know, traditional composition behind a lot of people. A lot of like the flight pieces are really mm-hmm. well supported with the with the music kind of carrying through kind of the love and beauty of flight, right? Yeah. All right, I'm gonna hand it off. That's, that's <laughs> uh, as much as I want. <laughs> I, I also gave it an eight. Um the the period Music was just fabulous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love, I mean, I am a big fan of uh, essentially Fallout, which is just that music yeah. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I am definitely one of those people that always keeps the radio on while playing that game. I just, I love Same. those kind of of just period musical compositions. And I, the whole movie, I was just like, oh, this is great. I love this. Nice. Keep it going. <laughs> what, I what gave about you? it a seven and I'm going to kind of be the opposite of you a little bit in that like, I thought the 20s music got to be a bit grating after a while. I don't love the period music like you do. How dare you? What yeah. is wrong with you? <laughs> well, so I knocked it down to a seven because I felt like the score from mm-hmm. Howard Shore was very good. Like, especially yeah, like you're saying the flight scenes. There was just like the color grading to me. Like at the very front, they start, you know, playing like the period piece music and it set the tone perfect. Everything's yep. great. They carried it a little too far. There were a few scenes where, like, I felt like there should have been score there. Where instead, instead of, yeah. they went with, like, yeah, like, ragtime, you know, mm-hmm. 20s music. Yeah. And then, like, when they got to the 30s, they just kind of stopped doing that. And then, so, like, the back half of the movie is just the score for the most part. And so, it felt weird, just like the color mm-hmm. grade, or the selective color mm-hmm. stuff of, like, they just stopped at some point. Well, and I think that's because it... um because really it's more on the content of what's happening in the plot at the time. Right, yeah. Because he's no longer whining and dining with, you know, Hollywood's right. elites. Yeah. He's now, you know, being consumed by his his OCD. Yeah, he, he stops going out to the place, or at least that we see going yeah. out to the places where this music is. Mm. Right? Yeah, yeah. But for me, yeah, I like the score better than the vintage music after a while. After the first few tone setters, I was yeah. like, got it. I want to hear this scene scored I want you know I don't want to hear another tone set or another you know like for me it went on just a little too far as far as that goes that makes sense that's fair all right what do we think about plot Andrew you want to jump back I gave it an eight okay go for it um so so it's a biopic yeah there's really not I mean they're they're they have to condense a lot of the the dramatic moments in his life into a three-act film there there's clearly you know some timeline kind of movement here to where he didn't really go into like full recluse mode to where he's you know peeing in milk bottles until <laughs> um like the the late 50s i think if if that's right and he yeah, only, i don't know if it hit quite as fast after world war ii as they presented. yeah I, yeah i looked it up because i that was one of my sticking mm-hmm. points of again not knowing anything about howard hughes i kept pausing and looking stuff up like did that really happen when did this happen it happened like late 50s so yeah. it was like so pretty it, far separated it, from yeah. but yeah. you need to have some kind of major conflict 
to have mm-hmm. your quotation marks hero come back up and yeah. be triumphant at the end. Yeah, he can't he can't still just kind of be swimming along at that point. You got to have something happen. Exactly. Um, but for a biopic, it was actually very accurate to his general life outside of a couple of omissions that they had of some domestic abuse with Ava Gardner and a lot of his they, womanizing they stuff. They at least hinted at it with their kind of final yeah. confrontation. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, she fights back or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But they, they just, you just didn't get it. You got some of the other stuff, but yeah. Yeah. But honestly, like, you know, for for them essentially, you know, turning a quotation marks documentary mm-hmm. of someone's life into a dramatic retelling of it, it was actually, I thought it was fantastic. Okay. Uh, and it's it's definitely one of those those pieces that um, it's not something I'm going to watch very often. <laughs> right, uh, I yeah. may not watch it again, not because I don't like it. It's just it's a long film and, you know, going into it, I know exactly everything that happens. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it down a notch. I gave it a six. Okay. Uh, you know, some of it is, it, it sits, well, okay, one, it is incredibly long and it feels longer than it is. And that, yeah. that is a ding on it. For, That's more entertainment, though. That's no, no, no. That is this is plot because if they had done a better job of breaking it up into distinct eras and the way it was structured where he goes through these different eras, one, you could have gotten further into the timeline and put him in the 50s when being the full reclusive yeah. makes sense instead of it being like 1947 or almost an in, uh, indiscriminate time because they just don't give you what that passage of time really is. Yeah. They don't give you anything to, to pin to it, mm-hmm. which is incredibly frustrating because for me, I would see events that would happen. I'd be like, okay, I know. I know, you know when this I happened. Know when the, I know the XF crashed in 46. I know when that happened. Mm-hmm. And you know, his recovery from that was was a long time. It was a very long time. Yeah. And they didn't give us a good way of, of, of covering something like that. Like that was, mm-hmm. that was an opportunity to almost montage us, right? To give us the, yeah. the, the, the coming back. <laughs> the, 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 not, the healing montage. Not, yeah, yeah. Not, a, not a training montage. You know, something. Got the no, Rocky like a, music like, going. <laughs> but give us like a time lapse or something, you know, of, yeah. of like the, the changes of the hospital as he's like, his position is altering. Because right. you know, in real life, when he was in that situation, you know, they showed him with the whole orange juice thing, right? Which I don't know how accurate that is. But in real life, when he was there, he completely redesigned the hospital bed to where he, it could move him. Yeah. And heat, cold, deliver water, et cetera. It's all the things that you see in a modern hospital bed are his design from that accident. Really? Yeah. I did not like, know that. That was a huge opportunity to build that in for him. And they yeah. just, didn't do it. Well, you could have shown that exactly of like as, as he, it, he's yeah. coming back, he, but he can't stop engineering. He yeah. Can't like, stop, like, yeah, yeah. He, he has to find, he has to solve the problem that's immediately before him now. Right. Like, yeah. like that was a huge miss. I felt like, because I mean, they, they have, you have to include the crash. Like it has, that has to be included. Mm. In well, that's probably yeah. the most dramatic thing that's, yeah. that's really happened. It is borderline unbelievable, even though it's actually quite accurate. Actually to what happened. Represented. Yeah. So that was also interesting. It, it was a really awkward at times it felt like because sometimes it felt like i was watching you know a documentary you know like borderline yeah. i'm gonna have you know morgan freeman's cuts in with narration <laughs> over this and, and other times how it no yeah and then other times i'm watching you know like a drama and it felt like it kind yeah. of swung back and forth between those and it, it's same kind of thing with like the color grading is like you need to figure out which of these two tones you want and, and run with it and not like swing me back and forth yeah yeah ryan i landed right in the middle i gave it a seven okay um i feel like 
you know, not to rehash a lot of the stuff, but like where I said earlier, where like not giving you a time kind of kept the audience off balance. Mm -hmm. I think that worked for it on some levels and mm -hmm. against it on others. Whereas like, I really like to have a time frame when I'm watching a biopic or something like that, because I, I get genuinely interested in what's happening. And I think the reason they did it is because they're remixing his life to make more dramatic sense for a movie, mm -hmm. you know, with the, the peeing in the jars that happened, yeah. you know, in the fifties or whatever, they're, they're, restructuring it or whatever, which was fine. Uh, I, I think they did gloss over a lot of the sexual harassment and a lot of deaths happened on the sets of his movies. They uh, didn't really discuss yeah. that. Yeah, three people died on, on the set of Hell's Angels. Um, in the 19, or late 1929, he killed someone with a car. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, then he was also married twice at the beginning of 1920. Yeah. Um, or like early 20s. Yeah. And yeah, I, I just feel like over a lot. this was 2004. They did biopics a little bit different back then. Now they probably would have gotten into some of the darker part mm -hmm. of that stuff. I mean, they at least got into, you know, he has this this incredibly creepy and strange audition yeah. for, for a high school 15-year-old <laughs> girl. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, she obviously, you know, comes back and has her, you know, kind of revenge moment where obviously, you know, there something is happening there that mm -hmm. has... We're already in a really weird situation to begin with. Yeah. And something has happened there to, to push it to this point. And then, you know, his response to it where he's, like, trying to calm her is uh, there is so much going on in that scene that it's just, ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, You know I love you, Peanut, or whatever uh, he says. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> don't want it. or something. I don't even know. It was, it was like, ooh, I don't want to hear yeah, that. Ooh, I don't like that. There's yeah. a whole stretch there just, ugh. <laughs> Also, there's like that scene at the front with uh, Josie Moran, who plays the flapper girl or whatever, where he just like turns the, the waitress out, like out just, of nowhere is like straight macking on this girl. Oh, and yeah. you're like, wait, oh, well, no, he like he's you've got this camera shot where you can kind of see over her shoulder and you can't really see his arms. And he's like talking about putting his fingers on her. And you, I know. I, like, what's you he don't touching? know where they are. Like, what are you doing, dude? Yeah. I mean, Howard was very creepy. Right. I mean, when you got, in, mil in when real you got life, millions very in, in 1920s, I guess, you know, they just do whatever you no, want. No, I mean, like, ugh. yeah, you, you could definitely imagine? do yeah. whatever you want. The the other thing that kind of frustrated me about plot-wise was that, like, they they did a lot of scenes where they introduced this problem where it's mm. like, you know, John Z. Riley's like, Howard, we don't have the money. And he's like, well, just figure it out. And he's like, well, if we don't, we're, we're going to lose everything. And then it's like, cut to... And, and the and next we scene, it out. everything's fine. And again, it's indiscreet, yeah. you know, determinant on like, is this 10 years later? Is this two years later? Where a are we week? at? Yeah. Yeah. A week. And I'm, and I, I'm still going like, wait, did we solve that problem? Did that work out? Is this, this going to come back and bite us? Am I, right. am, I am I worried about this? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop on like some of those where it was like, is, is that settled? And th that happened like Three four times, or five times yeah. throughout the movie where like, there's a problem. He's like, just figure it out. And you're like, oh man, are they? And then they just go on and you're like, oh, I guess they did. Cool. <laughs> so the- um, Super easy, barely an inconvenience. <laughs> right. So, yeah. so one of the things, so the, the inquisition at the end with, um, with Congress or the Senate. In inquisition. Um, or, <laughs> <laughs> Senate hearing. <laughs> it's an inquisition. Inquisition. Um, break out the red robe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no one yeah. expects the Congress inquisition. No one expects the Congress inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for the Senate hearings, um, they were like in real life, those were not about the, the spruce goose. Right. Um, they basically had to kind of mold it around 
to make it relevant to the to the story to for, have some like kind of comeback. Yeah, to have some yeah. kind of comeback to be like, oh, he's you know he's he's gotten over his OCD. No, actually, hasn't. Jokes on you. Yeah, but. Uh, so in I think in real life it was about um, uh, some kind of it was it was about like embezzling funds or something like that if yeah. I remember well, correctly. Well, I mean they were they were kind of hitting on that with the idea that he he received all these funds from the government and didn't yeah. do anything with them. But and, but he was never he was never accused of of basically like um, war profiteering, right? Essentially, yeah. and they also had that really awkward bit where he kind of you know they have the back and forth, which was I, I thought pretty good and mm-hmm. kind yeah. of a, a highlight, and then you know like he gets his final word in and it was like Leo just like mic drops and walks off the stage. He's like, okay, there <laughs> is get no that. way <laughs> right. mic drop and just walk out in front of senators. Like don't, don't try that <laughs> on your own. Like this is one of those, like, don't do this at home kids. If you ever things. find yourself at a congressional inquisition, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then make sure that you don't just like mouth off to, to this, to a Senator. Unless, and walk away. unless you're I mean, a very eccentric millionaire who has lots of jars of urine that you could use <laughs> in any number of ways. Like, Cause like, Cause like that's when the red robes get broken out, right? You know, right. Like this is when we're, we're going to the hot tongs. Is this turning into Jurassic Park three where you can use them as weapons? <laughs> uh, I thought we were going for like team fortress two. <laughs> or that, or that wow. I haven't heard. Yeah. I haven't thought about that game in years. <laughs> Some people still, I was gonna say no one has. I was like, no, there's still a lot of people <laughs> that do on a regular basis. Still playing that game. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to entertainment. Yep. I gave it a seven. Okay. I think that seven is purely because of, the performances and some pretty decent cinematography here and there. I think I would probably hesitate to watch it again, just on a, on a, on a whim, just because it's so long. And it, again, it's not my favorite Scorsese film, Yeah, but for me, it was extremely enjoyable to see Leo Mm -hmm. as a, you know, young actor, you know, working on his, his craft, cutting his chops, seeing Kate Blanchett, like seeing the acting was great. Some of the cinematography was good, but I think the the strongest suit was the acting. That's the most entertainment I got out of it. Everything else, I, w- I would probably not watch it again unless it's a decade from now. Yeah. I'm just you know, curious. <laughs> you uh, I gave it a seven as well. Okay. Uh, basically for the exact same reasons. Uh, <laughs> acting was great. Uh, I really love the music. I know you're not a fan of the period pieces, but I love them. It just overstated its welcome. Yeah. Uh, it's not that I didn't enjoy it. It was like, got it. Uh, but but mostly just the length of the film and the content of the final act is very hard for me to watch. Yeah. Um, just because like you like you just know what's coming, and mm. it's very hard to like you're just watching a train wreck and you just can't look away. Yeah. Um, and that's you know, and because Leo is such a fantastic actor. Yeah. He sells it so well that you're just yeah. like, oh, this just really makes me uncomfortable. It's hard to watch. Like, it's, again, a really good showcase of acting, yep. but it's not like an easy breezy like, when fun he, plane When movie. he's, like, repeating over and over and, mm-hmm. like, he yeah. has the tick, mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, man, this is this is brutal. Yeah. Steven? I gave it a five. Ooh. I'm coming wow. on the low end. So length is a, length is a huge issue, right? <laughs> and, and not just runtime, but also it, it has these – incredibly draggy moments and these incredibly sped up moments and like it's it's almost whiplash right yeah like going back and forth and then it like the performances are great right and, but i i personally when i look at some of these movies that are very obvious like like you just kind of look at it and you're like oh look at the names that are attached like, this is oscar bait like, right they're, they're they are making this movie to try and sell not to you know the public but to the academy yeah and it's there's some something about those types of movies that kind of turn me off a little bit Sure. Uh, and then we're also, we're touching on 
a lot of history that I'm at least decently familiar with. So it's going to destroy me on disbelief whenever there's just like, what are you doing? Right. And then when they have really good parts, it, it's like, oh, that's great. But then it's, it's such, again, it's just the whiplash effect. Of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Going like, back wa- and forth. Like watching the Hughes racer and just being like, ah, eh, this is really cool. And it's just like, and now we're back in the cockpit. <sighs> yeah. Okay, cool. We're outside. <laughs> and now we're back in the cockpit. <sighs> like, come on, <laughs> just get me somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, so stuff like that, it's just, it, it, it's just a little too much. I just, I don't know if it's the kind of movie that I would probably ever watch again. Yeah. And, and some of it is too, is the train wreck, like the, the problems that you know that are coming. And it, it's essentially you, you are witnessing undiagnosed and untreated mental illness. And again, Leo does such a good job with it that it's really hard to watch. You know, when he goes yeah. into the, into the repetitions and even when he has the moments like when, uh, uh, Kate Blanchett wants to like have, you know, she, they're fighting mm-hmm. and you know, he breaks away because he just, he can't do the confrontation. Yeah. And he's, he's almost, you know, searching the room for some of the distraction. It is so hard to watch that kind of thing of, of what looks like a person who is just struggling mm-hmm. inside yeah. themselves. Yeah. And that's just, that's really hard for me to watch. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't mean to like, just like down on it. It's just, for me personally, it's just not something that I could just, be like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put the aviator on again. No, right? Yeah, yeah it's not really a background. <laughs> yeah, it, movie. It, it, it's not a movie that's just like on in the background. It's not something where you're like, yeah, yeah, it's just Friday night. I got time to kill. Let's uh, let's yeah, aviator <laughs> we'll right. on the aviator on stream. That's yeah, easy. You know, it's just not gonna happen. You know. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for listening to Spoilers Intended. Remember, if you like what you heard and uh, want more, you can check us out at spoilersintendedpodcast.com. From there, you can support us on Patreon for just as little as $1. Uh, You can be part of our Discord server and join in on the conversation. You can check us out on YouTube, follow us on Instagram, all that good stuff. Till next time, I'm Ryan. I'm Andrew. And I'm Stephen. And as always, every spoiler was intended. (laughs) 